welcome to the Nothing Podcast Presents. We have the honor of presenting Dr. Arakana Chiambori Kwao. We came across this video on YouTube. Actually, Shaman brought it up to me um, a couple of months ago. And then did Chris give it to you? Yeah, Chris Jackson, who we was on uh, doing business in Africa, number two. two. Number two, yeah. So um, so she is the, the U.S. ambassador to the African Union. And um, she is an extremely no, good... No, she's the African Union ambassador to the U.S. Say it one more time. She's the African Union ambassador to the U.S. She's the African Union ambassador to the U.S. I feel like I said that, but worded it differently. You, said, you, you phrased it like she was from America going to them, but she's from them to us. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so she is an extremely good communicator. I really enjoyed this speech. She, she really is good at laying out what's going on over there in Africa. And she's not pulling any punches. She's not um, overly polished, like a a super polished politician where you can't trust anything that she says. I really enjoyed it. Um, So uh, without any further ado, Dr. Arakana Chiambori Kwao. And this is courtesy of the Institute of the Black World. So I got permission to rebroadcast this from Melvin Foote. So, um, yes, without any further ado, uh, Dr. Arakana Chiambori Kwao, enjoy. I th- we enjoyed it uh, immensely, um, and I think you will too. Ladies and gentlemen, it is indeed an honor to stand in front of you this morning. And also thank you for uh, just taking your time on a Saturday morning to, uh, to come in and, and have us come together as uh, people of African descent. I think as Mel said, I was a country doctor minding my own business in Tennessee when I was asked to, uh, to come here. As part of my conversations with uh, Madam Zuma, uh, I wanted to know why she was so insistent that I took this position. And she said, well, the diaspora are such an important part of Africa's development. The heads of states are very clear about how there cannot be sustainable development in Africa without the significant participation of its children in the diaspora. Starting from those who crossed the Atlantic in shackles and those who left much later in search of greener pastures. The reality is for Africa, the brain drain has been enormous. And Africa cannot build itself without repatriation of those brains. The real issue now for the African Union, through its African leaders, is the how. So she said, we're all grappling with the idea and how to bring the diaspora together. And she said, I don't have a plan either. But she said, you are a woman. I've given you the platform, so figure out. So this is where we are. That is the call from the chair who appointed me. Yes, in addition to having promoting Africa in the Americas, and right next to that, and I have reversed it. If you look at my mandate, is the promotion of Africa in the Americas and the diaspora. I have reversed it. My first priority now is the diaspora. Because when it comes to the sheer survival of the continent, the diaspora must be front and center. My talk today is going to be in three parts. I'm going to start talking about who we are. 
and, the, and where we come from, or rather start with where we come from, who we are, and where we are. And as Mel knows, there is one particular part of our history as Africans that defines the status of our situation in the world today. And that event is the Berlin Conference. And I've taken it and made it my mission to make sure that every person of African descent, in order for you to understand why Africa is where it is today, you must understand the Berlin Conference. Why did they meet in Berlin, 1884 from November to 1885 February? Prior to that date, of course, slavery had just ended in 1865. The, the Western world, the French, the British, the Italians, even the Russians, they are all haphazardly going into Africa. They heard about this beautiful, very rich continent with everything they can ever need. So as they were uh, robbing and looting from the African people, pretty soon they started looting from each other. <laughs> and then before you know it, they were fighting and killing each other. So the then uh, Chancellor of Germany, uh, Bismarck, he was afraid that they were getting ready to have a European war on the African continent. So he called his crony, King Leopold of Belgium. He said, let's do something about this. We are all going into Africa and looting. Let's organize how we're going to loot from these monkeys. <laughs> and so they called each other up and they met in Berlin. The sole purpose was for this gang of thieves to organize themselves as to how they were going to effectively steal and loot from the African people. How they were going to effectively put a system in place to see to it that the African people and the continent were forever defeated and dominated. So it was during that three months of deliberations, sitting on a big table like we are now, and across this table, a five-foot mark of Africa, the decisions were made. Where tribes were getting along very well, that was absolutely unacceptable. That means more countries came out of it. That means more uh, those same countries, one was given to France, the other one was given to Britain, the other one was given to, to Spain, to make sure that they don't even, over time, give it a generation, they don't even know each other. They don't speak the same language. And those that did not get along, they became one country. Let them keep fighting. So the Berlin Conference was a strategy to see to it that the Africans are forever defeated. So as I go around talking, I've had young some, usually it's the educated, the bright ones, the professors. But Ambassador, you can't keep talking about the Berlin Conference. That's over 200 years ago. And my comeback to them is, when they made a decision to have Togo, Benin, Rwanda, Burundi, what did they have in mind? How can Togo be called a country? If this was a boxing ring, heavyweight, countries please stand up, Togo gets up, United States gets up, China gets up, now may the battle begin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chance. 
Just took the hair. But on the books, took as a country. We were designed to lose. No single African country, as if we continue as individual African country, can survive. No. You see, Togo needs to negotiate with the state of Delaware. Nigeria needs to negotiate with the state of Texas. This part But as individual African countries, it is so important that we understand that the strategy that they put in place in 1894 was designed for us to forever. And if we should have one African country that tries to have a leg up, because we are so small, it's very easy to take us down. Before you know it, it is in the books that uh, of the seven African leaders who were assassinated during the coup in the Francophone countries, they were all orchestrated by France. Why were those leaders assassinated? 1958. When the French were leaving their colonies, they made them sign what they called the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization. This pact necessitated that 85% of the Francophone countries keep their bank reserves in, in France. Sadly, that pact is still in existence today. So when the leaders who were now opening their eyes and saying, this does not make sense. How can I run a country with only 15%? If I try to access the remaining 85 that's in the French banks, I'm treated like a beggar. Next thing you know, there's a coup and you're assassinated. And then it gets to a point where everybody gets scared. If I try to raise my voice, they will take me down one way or the other. Now we are no longer doing coups. We're having conflicts. And who are we using for the conflicts? Our young people. And all they have to say, boom, and we run. So 1964, our Pan-African leaders of the time, realizing that Berlin Conference set us on a wrong path, on a losing path, Almost on a on a train that's gonna derail. It's just a matter of when. Mm -hmm. So they met together and created what they called the Organization of African Unity. It was during this meeting that Kwame Nkrumah declared that you are not African because you were born in Africa, but rather you are African because Africa is born in you. All right. He also proclaimed that Africa was for the Africans and that African Union was now. The AU has since been renamed AU in 2002. Our African leaders meet twice a year to discuss issues people come to the continent. One then begs to ask a question. Why is it that 55 years later, the dream of a united Africa is yet to be realized. Mm. It goes back to the Berlin Conference. It is for the same reason that as you try to analyze other ethnic groups in this country, mm. which is the melting pot, with the exception of the American Indians, mm. everybody in this country has a primary anchor mm. that is outside. The United States. Mm -hmm. The anchor in the United States is the secondary anchor. So the Indian diaspora 
They realize that their primary anchor is in India. This is secondary. The Irish diaspora, same thing. The Chinese, the Mexicans, all other ethnic groups, they recognize their primary anchor. Two, three generations removed, but they know where they come from. Now, let's take it home. Come on now. We are the only ethnic group that's too busy trying to run away from our primary income. We are just floating like sails without an anchor. And until we realize that we must accept our anchor, our primary anchor, and connect with that primary anchor, there is no future for us. We shall forever be floating. We shall forever be controlled. Let me take it home a little bit. Those of you who are Africans, you might take continental Africa. You might take your, your, your friend, one of your sister's brothers who happens to be white to Africa, and, uh, and they work at Walmart. Guess what happens when you go to Africa? They are put on such a pedestal. You know what I'm talking about? Simply because of the color of their skin. Why is that? Let's take two black men and put them in the same room with one white man. Guess what? The two black men are so busy trying to distance each other so they can form an alliance. Let's reverse the table. Now, it's two white men and one black man. The two white men stick together like so. Somehow, we can even trust ourselves, let alone each other. Why is that? And we are the only race that does that. So the colonization and the legacy of slavery that we have gone through, it is deep. And until we recognize that we are suffering from this affliction, we can't begin to heal. Yes, yes. Which is why it is imperative that we have a serious conversation with the image in the mirror. Because the healing begins with you having that serious conversation. It's a very important question. Who are you? Why do you think the way you do? I attended uh, a family gathering uh, with one of my friends, African-American. And two of the family members came in dressed in dashiki. And one aunt particularly took umbrage to her. Wanted to know what's up with these dashikis. <laughs> she felt that uh, this was cheapening their event. Because the two cousins came in dressed in dashikis. So our issues are huge. I was addressing a group of uh, young people. And they were talking about uh, DNA testing so you could know where you're from in Africa. These were young African diaspora, African Americans. And they said, no, 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 no. I'm never going to do my DNA testing. Because if I do and identify where I come from, this government might just send me back. I <laughs> 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 have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I have some serious work to do. Last year, I was informed of a situation at Cornell where the Af African American students were protesting against 
the uh, Continental and Caribbean students, yep. claiming that uh, they were getting preferential treatment. They wanted me to issue a statement. I said, what is the statement going to do? I said, I need to go see the children. Right now. They need to see me. Mm -hmm. They need to see me, and I need to feel better. Mm -hmm. So we flew to uh, Cornell, and we had a town hall uh, session. And I, in my speech, I asked the children, I said, uh, if the issue was uh, the quota for black enrollment, as they say, they said the continental and Caribbean students are being used to fill the quota for black enrollment. I said, if the issue was enrollment, and the issue was foreigners, did it occur to you to go to the administration and also complain about Asian enrollment, Asian quota? They looked at me like, are you crazy? And I said, um, secondly, did it occur to you that maybe you could go to the administration and say, please, the quota for in black enrollment is too small. Yes. That's, That's right. There you go. Yes. Yes. But instead, the mind is suffering from the legacy of colonialism. The mind that's suffering from the legacy of slavery. Said, go after your sister. Go after your brother. So we find ourselves fighting over crumbs under the table. When there's a 10 course meal going on on the table. So out of that mindset. Yes. It starts with that conversation mm -hmm. to the image in the mirror. And when it comes to our children, we have a responsibility to let them know that you're not in a good place. That your thinking is in the, in the wrong way. And we have a responsibility to direct them into the right way. Yes. But how do we direct them if we ourselves are in the wrong way? That is where our problem is. The question I have is, as diaspora, some of the most, I like to say, beautiful, intelligent, sophisticated, highly adaptable, and totally indestructible people I know. Why can't we get this right? We don't need anybody. We have ourselves. And all we gotta do is come together a very simple example. I was talking to a group of bishops. I said, bishops, I found out that $15 million leaves black churches every Sunday. And by Monday, they're all lined up to deposit it in white bank. So I'm even drive past a black bank. Can you imagine if this money has been going into black banks for, for all these many years? Our banks will be in a different place. Mm -hmm. You see, others take that money and fund each other. Yes. I don't know how many of you remember when uh, President Trump met with the African leaders. He said, My friends go to Africa poor, they come back rich. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had others yeah. calling me to say, well, How could you say, Ambassador? I said, You may say the truth. Yeah. <laughs> now, you may not want to hear it, but it is true. The real question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to be a complainer and a noisemaker? Or are you going to do something about it? Let me take it home a little bit. There's so many of us here. If we were to say, um, we have a credit union, and everybody commits to opening an account, it's still your money. $10 a month. 
to 10 million out of the 55 million, 50 million in this country. That's 1.2 billion in one year. I just opening an account in a credit union. It's your money. But guess what I can do with that? I can then turn around and go to the African Union and say the diaspora in America are sitting on a credit union with $1.2 billion and everybody would only be put into it. Your account would only have $120. No brain. Guess what can come out of that? Oh, thank you. <laughs> but it is even more crucial that we come together now, April this year, we saw the signing of the African Continental Free Trade Area. This is when the African leaders came together. Finally, we are beginning to break down the Lean Conference. The African countries finally agreed to speak with one voice and speak as a block. One Africa, one voice, one country. So the African continental free trade area is one giant step in destroying the Berlin Conference. Secondly, they also signed the Protocol for the Free Movement of People, which means regardless of where you were born in Africa, you're free to go and live and work wherever you want within Africa. Both protocols are currently now being ratified. Let me explain the process. So of the African continental free trade area, first the president has to sign and agree. Out of the 55 countries, we have 50 that have signed up to say, yes indeed, we're on. <laughs> and out of the 55 countries, we only need 22 countries to ratify. And already six countries have ratified. They're ready for implementation. So we are hoping by December, we will have the 22 ratifications needed in order for implementation to begin. How is the implementation being done already? Regionally, east, west, north, south, and central, we have regional customs units. So the integration of the five customs units would then result in the single African customs unit plus many other uh, areas that are being looked at because you can't have a successful African continental free trade area if people have to keep changing money from one border to the other. Mm -hmm. So this is all background work that's being looked at. So when the process of implementation comes, AfriAids and Bank is working on that. They said, we must have a single African currency. Otherwise, the continental free trade area is not going to succeed. The protocols for the free movement of people, over 30 countries, heads of states have signed. We only need 15 countries to ratify. And already two have ratified. By ratification, that means the president has agreed in principle, yes, I want my country to participate in this. Then he goes back home and puts this through parliament to sign off. Both are supposed to be completed by December. I'm saying this to say, your Africa is changing. Everybody else 
is watching and strategizing on how to get into Africa mm. when this happens. Mm. And we're the only ones who are not strategizing. Mm. And I'm sure when the others are flooding, they are already flooding into Africa, mm. we will continue to complain. Okay. Mm. I'm here to tell you that in spite of the exploitation that has gone on in Africa for centuries, mm. guess what? They've only tapped maybe 10%. Mm. Africa is extremely undervalued. Yes, yes. I'm here to remind you that you are descendants of the original continent. When the world was one, it was called Panji. Through tectonic shifts, the other continents drifted away. Guess which continent has never moved? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So it's not by surprise that we have everything and anything the world needs. Yes. yes. Diamonds. Check. <laughs> Gold. Check. 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 Oil. Check. Check. Cobalt. Check. Check. Vibranium. Check. 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 <laughs> And that is all ours. Yeah. And not only that, we have the origin of humanity. That's right. Humanity as we know it. The genome that runs in your blood, in your veins, is the genome of originality. Why then would you allow somebody to make you feel less than perfect? The speaking of pigment of ours, the melanin, that seems to scare some. Yes. <laughs> it's original. It's a sign of originality. Anything else is like they are. So I'm here to say, my brothers and sisters, you have you are descendants of an amazing continent. A continent that's being exploited by everybody except us. We don't need to exploit Africa. We just need to go home. Yes. 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 We just need to go home. They've done a great job of painting our continent as a diseased and dying continent. Well, if it is so diseased and dying, why are you going there? You tell us one thing, don't go to Africa, but they're running to Africa. The owners is on us yes. to say enough is enough. Mm -hmm. That we are going to be the generation that's going to tell the court. Because I don't know about you guys, but this can go on. Our circumstances, wherever you encounter us as black people around the world, are deplorable. How long does this have to go on before we can say we're sick and tired? of being sick and tired. That is why I'm here today. To say, as the African Union representative, I'm a woman on a mission. The diaspora must come home. And I hope we can join hands. I'm looking to put a board together that's going to be an AU advisory board that we can begin to set an agenda so when issues come up, 
Just like I talked about the 1.2 billion, 10 million, each one paying, uh, opening their own account for $120 a year. Can you imagine when I can walk back to the African Union and tell the African leaders that the diaspora are sitting on an account with $1.2 billion? Now, that is a voice. Are you with me? Yes. No money. No voice. Let's be clear about that. Yes. We can keep talking as long as we have no money. No we are noisemakers. Right. It is just that simple. And this is a simple, no-brainer idea that I'm trying to sell to the diaspora to say, if you believe in Africa, let's identify a credit union. And there are quite a few that are owned by us. That we could say, open an account so you can stand up and be counted. When I walk in and I say the diaspora in America are sitting on an account in one year with $1.2 billion, they want the African passport. I can eat. They will listen to me. But if I go to them now, they're saying, where's your army? Where are the diaspora? We have to stand up and be counted. And if we believe in ourselves, our children, and generations to come, we have to do this. We have to come together once again as one united African family, proud and strong. Thank you for listening to me. this presentation into a video mm -hmm. that can be disseminated widely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope there are plans for you to visit every campus in the United States. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I love the idea of the Continental Diaspora Bank. It's something we've discussed with Dr. Ron Daniels. Help us narrow down and identify that credit union for us to support. I'm ready to write my check today. Thank you, Madame Abbas. You are like an only Nicole Milton. Thank you so much for this inspiring idea. Uh, we've known this office for over a period of time now, and uh, we have always struggled to find a way to get the word out, to chart a way so the diaspora can have a message around which they can rally and take it out of the ivory tower to bring it actually where the people are so we could do something. So it's sounding like we could do something finally. And uh, how can you practically, with this forum and some others, African organizations and African individuals, uh, be able to actually materialize this idea of an African bank or an African credit union. How do you see the steps actually being actionable? Thank you, my brother. My uh, plan is to continue to run around like a chicken without a head. Um, last night I was uh, I came late because I had to address a group of diaspora in Washington D.C. I'm here today. On Tuesday, I'm going to Charlotte 
from Charlotte, I'm going to Jackson, Tennessee, believe it or not. Then I'll end up in Nashville. From Nashville, I'm ending up in Philadelphia and then Reading, PA. Then I'll be back, Boston. To answer both your questions about the credit union, in Boston, there is a group of diaspora who have started a fair, have just finished registering a fairly new credit union. I'm eyeing them. So I'm also going to be meeting with them when I'm in Boston on the uh, 6th to try and see how we can work together um, and support them as AU and let's use that as uh, the credit union that we can all, all rally on. Just open your account and just deposit your money. So I'm eyeing the one in Boston. There's another one in Mississippi, but I'm tending to lean more towards the one in Boston unless others do come up. That can be by recommendations. And also in terms of trying to say, how do we bring this, how do we actualize it? Again, and I'm hoping by the end of the year, and I'm going to be counting on all of you, we need to have an advisory board that meets quarterly to decide on way forward. For example, with this credit union, it is the advisory board, this funds, we agree they're going to be used for bigger projects. I equate an example of somebody wanting to get a gas station. That's all nice and good. But why do you want to get a gas station when you can own an oil rig? You see, whereas before, it seemed like it's so far-fetched that we can't own an oil rig. Guess what? That's why I'm here. I'm here to open doors. When the diaspora are together, I can open just about any door you want. I can think of opportunities right now. I was just in Zimbabwe. There are mines that the president would like to see open. Just come and start working. This is true. These opportunities are all over. But because of a little bit of money, we are not able to access them. With that $10 a month, yes. Organizations can own a gold mine. You can own several gold mines. You can own cobalt. I found out uh, Zimbabwe has the largest reserves of iron ore. 45 trillion metric tons. I didn't know that. The next largest is Australia with 33 trillion. They need a mine to mine the iron ore. That's a great opportunity. Great opportunity. And getting started, I was looking at the figures, it's a no-brainer. Together, we can do that. I could go from one country to the other, to the other, to the other, and present opportunities that diaspora can get involved in. But that can only happen when we come together. So that's one area. The second area, I have done a presentation to the uh, chairman of the African Union, and uh, Presenting the, my vision and the programs that I would like to implement, and some I, have, I am in the process of implementing. But the biggest one that's of particular interest to me is the Wakanda villages. And I renamed it Wakanda after Black Bear. <laughs> Remember what um, Madame Zuma said to me? She said, figure it out. So I pondered over how am I going to bring this crazy group of people who are scattered from all over the place, and we're all coming with different ideas, just like we are, like any other family. 
I said, this group of people, like any family, you got your, your menopausal mother, you got your schizophrenic aunt, yes. you know, but we still are one big happy family. We don't disown each other. I started looking, first I started by itemizing the issues that Africa is dealing with. Let's look at healthcare. If all the black American doctors, continental doctors, the African diaspora in the United States doctors. But to go back to Africa today, we're only going to meet about 20% of the people. Africa today needs about 1.2 million doctors. So taking it home again to say, before you start complaining and accusing these heads of states, and I'm not making any excuses for that, but I want you all to understand, no amount of money can be put into healthcare in most of the sub-Saharan Africa that will deliver the desired results. But the doctors are simply not there. You have countries with no orthopedic surgeon, no neurosurgeon, maybe one or two, OBGYNs, maybe 10. You have the patient, doctor-patient ratio of one doctor to 100,000 people. That is not sustainable. I have traveled around the continent. Beautiful hospitals. Built American standards. The wings are closed. Because there are no doctors. That is our reality, ladies and gentlemen. So the brain drain is a serious issue for Africa. And that's why we, as the children, are stepping up. So the question of access to health care must be addressed. The next issue is access to power. Without electricity, everything comes to a halt. Some may not be aware, but the majority of the sub-Saharan countries, again, over 50% of drugs going into those countries have zero bioavailability. People are dying thinking they are taking blood pressure medicines, mm -hmm. diabetic medicines, mm -hmm. antibiotics when they are taking chocolate, in some cases poisonous substances, and nobody is holding these murderers to task. Mm -hmm. It's just going on like it's an issue. Mm -hmm. And yet, they want to find issues to complain about uh, that president and that president. They want to talk to me about corruption in Africa, which I'm not saying we don't have. Mm. But I'm saying while you're talking about corruption inside Africa, let's also talk about the corruption coming from the outside. Because when it takes two to tango, I can't be corrupted by myself. The color value of the corruption coming from outside Africa is significantly larger. But you see, they want us to focus on the piddly little issues while the big looting is going on. I use an example of a head of state who stole a billion dollars. So there he is, walking right past me carrying a billion dollars in his briefcase. And then on the other side, there's France. Who is taking over $500 billion out of Africa every year? So here comes France walking by with $500 billion in his briefcase. You want me to spend my energies on this one with $1 billion? 
while no. completely ignoring the one with 500 billion mm. and has been doing it for centuries? Hello? There's something wrong with this picture. But they want us to be completely blind of what France is doing. You want to buy a cabbage in the Francophone countries? It's from France. You walk into the grocery store of most Francophone countries, it's all from France. The oil discovered and yet to be discovered. The minerals discovered and yet to be discovered. They all belong to France. And the Francophone countries get royalties. Are you getting my point? Yes. <laughs> that rather than finding ourselves, say they're complaining about somebody who bribed you trying to get your, your visa to go to Nigeria, let's talk about the real issues. And that's where we need to begin. Our 500 billion must stay in the continent. Maybe we won't need to bribe anybody. But there's some bigger issues that we, as children of Africa, must understand the games that are being played. So going back to what I was trying to say, now, which questions are we answering? So healthcare, the idea of building what we're calling the diaspora centers of excellence, where we, the diaspora, what is needed in Africa is capacity building. And we as the diaspora, we have a responsibility. While we may not want to go and relocate to Africa, but you could take a contract, go teach. So if you're a doctor, we want to open a thousand bed hospital. The beauty is that now I have two presidents competing. Zambia was the first one to give us land. And when I was in Zimbabwe um, three weeks ago, the president of Zimbabwe had heard about my land, in, the land we got from the president. He says, oh, I had they gave you a little bit of land. And I said, yes. He says, they have a lot of land. They should have given you thousands of hectares. And I said, well, you understand, this is all I have. He said, okay, what would you take for you to come to Zimbabwe? And he said something that was very funny. He said, well, my sister, let me tell you. You see, Victoria Falls is like a woman. If you're looking at her from the Zambian side, you are seeing her back. And when you're looking at her from the Zimbabwe side, the choice is yours. <laughs> he said, tell me how much land you need. Initially, I said 300 hectares. He goes, only? And I said, okay, then if you say it, I'll go up to 1,000 hectares. He says, now you're talking. In a nutshell, they're looking into, he has already called the team. I met with them before I left. It's in a special economic zone. Prime location in Zambia. The president is ready to give 1,000 hectares. Plus, any more that we need to the diaspora to open this village. So a thousand bed hospital, teaching hospital with a university. Do you think we can have problems running those two entities? Absolutely not. Everything and anything and any specialty we need is here in the diaspora. We also have over many billions of dollars going Africa every year, out of Africa every year, for what we are calling overseas healthcare. The presidents, the ministers, the billionaires, the millionaires, mm -hmm. and even the ones without the money, they're coming together and finding it somehow. Mm -hmm. They're all going outside Africa for help. Mm -hmm. That has got to stop. So we'll plan to have five of these regional hubs, which are basically going to be developmental hubs for each region with downstream development. We're going to have hotels, five-star hotels. So now, 
these heads of states no longer have an excuse because we're going to bring the best of the best, the best surgeons, the best educators, the best everything because it's all here in abundance in the diaspora. We're going to bring it to Africa. And we, the diaspora, are going to take responsibility for building our Africa the way we want. So we will have the hotels. The hotels are going to be part of it. Not only are we doing health tourism, but we're also promoting tourism in Africa in general. When you look at the tourism dollars, Africa is with the best destinations in the world. We're only realizing 1%. Mm. It's sad, but that is our reality. So we'll have also, starting with the 200 megawatt power plant, expandable to 1,000. We're also going to have a pharmaceutical manufacturing plant so we can stop the bad drugs coming into Africa. And then the housing development that comes with it and the infrastructure that comes with it, it will be a modern, quote-unquote, village. It's really uh, a mini uh, city with roads that are ready for self-driving cars, monorails to go around uh, the village, and all of it master planned by the diaspora. This was well received by the uh, African, uh, um, the chairperson of the African Union when I did my presentation. I won't mention names, but uh, a, a law firm was brought to my attention by another ambassador, and um, they wanted to know how they could work with us in the African Union. I said, well, you know, I got this project that uh, we're working on, and I sent him a presentation on Wakanda. Uh, he called me back the following day and he really, really wanted to meet me. So he comes in and I still remember he was holding the document. He said, Ambassador, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. In my document, I'm very clear. This is about the African diaspora. I define who the African diaspora are. That this is a project that's going to be run by the diaspora. So there was no misunderstanding. May I just say, the interest was quite amazing. I would want the ambassador to say something about what she's envisioned for you. One of the things I noticed about most of the people sitting around the table, a lot of them got gray hair. I don't see enough of them who are 25 and younger. I saw a little young baby there, but I don't think the baby qualifies. Uh, but I know you have engaged at Khan. You've engaged some of the NBA basketball players. We had David West uh, in the audience last week, the TJ Warren from the Phoenix Suns, and I tried to get myself a contract with those guys, but they were listening to me. But um, I'd like to hear what, you, what your vision is for uh, generating support among the next generation and preparing them uh, to assume their role. Also, women. I know women have been at the forefront of your mission, and you have worked to empower women in the diet. Maybe you can say something about that. I'm hoping out of this group, I see a summit coming uh, where we're not talking about agonizing, but we're talking about organizing. And um, I see a summit of like-minded people uh, around the country. Uh, I'll see it next year sometime, but uh, that just might be me talking. But maybe you could respond to that. The youth, of course, uh, are extremely important, uh, not only within the diaspora in the United States, but even on the continent. So what we have done for the youth, uh, we're establishing Pan-African Diaspora Youth Association. Um, and for women, we've started in DC, we have a fairly active Pan-African Diaspora Women Association. And uh, we're trying to have a Pan-African Diaspora Men Association. 
They met twice, and then they called me and said, well, Ambassador, can we just not meet with the women? <laughs> <laughs> you men are useless. I was too funny. But we still, now they're calling me, but this is Ambassador, please, we need to get this done. So we're going to be having, uh, I'm not, we're going to try again to get the men to organize. Of course, it will be an AU, chapter, AU diaspora chapter, but the reason we want to organize the communities further into the youth, the women, and the men is to say when we start messaging, if it's an issue or information that is for the youth, we want to be able to reach only the youth. If it's information about opportunities for women, we want to reach only the women. The men, I don't know what category you call them. <laughs> Nobody wants to do anything for you guys. Um, I think it's because they are intimidated by black men, I suppose. Um, but we want to be able to organize ourselves so the messaging is easy and clear, but also professionally. So as you register, you can go to auwashingtondc.org and just register. And make sure you put your profession there. So we want to be able to say, if we need to, to reach out to orthopedic surgeons, the message goes to orthopedic, orthopedic settings. If we want to reach out to um, uh, history professors, the message goes to the right people. So our communication is smoother and cleaner. Uh, for the youth, we had to go and request uh, the State Department to see if we could uh, access the uh, Yali uh, people, uh, the Yali fellows, when they come annually. Uh, they gracefully accepted the request, and so we had our first African Diaspora Young Leaders Summit. It was a resounding success. Unbelievable. These young people, they are still sending emails, they are coming, stopping by the mission, and in general, they are saying it's the best summit. Some of them have been coming, they were invited to come back uh, two, three, from two, two, three years back, and in general, those who have never been to Africa, they're saying, this is the first time that I, I can now say I have a phone number of my brother on the continent. That if I should decide to go to the continent, I have somebody to stay with. They created the relationships that are needed. How can we link up if we don't know each other? So the Pan-African Diaspora Women, so we're hoping with the youth we're going to continue to encourage them. They've now created a platform for the youth, the ones from the continent and the ones in the diaspora. We hope that continues to grow and they can continue to network. When they come together, it becomes easy. For example, um, five of them happen to come the same day, different times, to come to the office. And one of them, the very first one, he said he was uh, going to be going to Charlotte. Uh, he lives in Nigeria. Uh, he's flying into Charlotte and then go on to some drive about two hours away. I said, oh, guess what? I'm also going to be in Charlotte. He's arriving on the 20th. I said, well, can you wait for me? I'm going to be in Charlotte on the 21st. Let me see if I can get your accommodation. Um, the long and short of it is the company that I'm going to tour it has these solar-powered units that can light up five rooms, a refrigerator, a TV, a and a stove. Plus, plus the electrical outlets. This company is willing to send a container as long as somebody can manage it. And 
the clients, they pay $30 down and $10 a month pays you. And we can bring electricity to the villages and anywhere in Africa. So these young people, I presented that to them, and I said, here's an opportunity. As a young Yali fellow, you could run a business here. You could provide power to so many people. So they're going to be renting a car, and they're coming to journey. We're able to organize accommodation for them. That's what we can do when we come together. And I'm challenging them to say, this is such a no-brainer. That we can have all the young yellow fellows doing that and bringing power to Africa. And then I get another call when they started circulating that I was coming in Charlotte. And my diaspora contact calls me. So, well, ambassadors, singer, I guess he's from North Carolina, North Carolina, singer, song machine. Mm -hmm. They have about a hundred machines they want to give. And there could be more. But they want to know where to start. So they have their headquarters in uh, DRC. So I reached out to one of the Padua women. I said, you're from the DRC. There is an opportunity here. Since their headquarters is in DRC, maybe we could start with DRC. She said, sure, Ambassador, so she's coming too. So again, when we network, this is what can happen. As the projects come, because we are connected, we can disseminate the information, and that's why it's so important that we come together and stand up and become. That was uh, Dr. Arakana Chiambori Kwao. I don't know about you, Shimon, but I learned a lot. Uh, she doesn't pull any punches. That's real history. That's real history. That's not like someone making it up to make themselves feel good. Absolutely. That stuff actually transpired. Check out all of you listeners out there. Remember, remember the Berlin Conference. That's what she spoke about uh, in great detail. Um, why Africa is in the state that it's in. Why the politicians are doing what they're doing. Uh, where these countries came from. Um, there's a lot of answers there, and all of it is, is documented history. So uh, definitely look into that. I hope you guys enjoyed it. TNDP presents. Well, I would just like to oh, say. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Juan. <laughs> just adding. She's also talking about solutions with the uh, um, African Diaspora Credit Union, um, the investment str strategy that they're looking to do. Really the stuff that we talk here on TNDP. So all the we're time. really excited. We're really excited. And uh, thanks again to the Institute of the Black World 21st Century for allowing us to rebroadcast this. Uh, thank you to Melvin Foote for allowing us to rebroadcast this. And also thank you to Dr. Arakana Chiambori Kwao. Uh, we really enjoyed uh, this speech. Hopefully, uh, we'd like to have you on the podcast. If next time you're in Boston, please feel free to come through. Uh, it, was, it was a great pleasure. There you go. All right. There you go. One. One.